I used to be able to throw a pigskin a quarter mile. Are you serious? I'm dead serious. Watch this. Ah! Ah! What the heck are you doing? That's what I'm talking about. I better go. <laughs> How much you want to make a bet I can throw a football over the mountains? Yeah. Coach would have put me in fourth quarter. We'd have been state champions, no doubt. No doubt in my mind. You better believe things have been different. I'd have gone pro. In a heartbeat. I'd be making millions of dollars and living in a big old mansion somewhere. You know, soaking it up in a hot tub with my soulmate. Uncle Rico is living in the past. Uh, my name is Danny Householder. I'm the campus pastor at Hope Ames. Also going to be a part of Cairo. So glad to be with you all here tonight. Whether you're here in Ames or joining us through the stream and you're in Iowa City and those small groups, we are just so glad to have you. Um, those of you who are in Ames, let's greet our friends in Iowa City. Uh, they're, on this, they're on this iPad up here, so you can't really face the camera or anything. But on the count of three, go ahead and say, hey, Iowa City. One, two, three. I tell you what, God brings us together. That's nice. Well, hey, we've been doing this a little bit lately because it, it helps whoever's up here see. If you got a flashlight on your phone and you've got a lot of battery, some of you were just, as soon as I said it, some of you are like, oh, here we go. Um, go ahead. If you want to turn the flashlight on on your phone, that just helps me see you. And then I know that there are human beings out there, which is so awesome. If you got enough battery, I would so appreciate that. Uh, maybe you could take shifts with the people around you so you can always make sure that that you have the opportunity to, uh, to uh, call someone afterward if you have to. So your battery doesn't die. Uh, well, hey, like I said, Uncle Rico, he's living in the past. He's really sleepwalking through life. I mean, he's conscious, he's awake, his mouth is moving, but he's sleepwalking through life because he's living in the past. The Bible tells us, I want you to wake up. In Proverbs uh, chapter 20, it says this on the next slide. It says this, it says, if you love sleep, you will end in poverty. Keep your eyes open and there will be plenty to eat. See, Uncle Rico, he's living in sleep. He's awake, he's conscious, but his soul is asleep because he's stuck on the things of the past. He remembers the glory days. He remembers what he used to have. He remembers the opportunities that used to present themselves to him and the glory that used to await him. And now it feels like he's gone. And so the best way that he can cope with that is to live back in those days. He's living in a dream of the past. He's sleepwalking his way through life. And the truth is, a lot of us still do that. A lot of us do that today. Like a lot of us can relate to Uncle Rico. Maybe you do know someone or maybe you are the person who lives in the past. You saw the opportunities come your way and then you feel like they've passed you by. And so now you're the person who desperately wants someone to ask you about your high school athletic career. Or you really want someone to find that picture on your social media that shows you were on the homecoming court, but no one ever seems to notice. You hold on to those moments and you feel like they're gone. And again, the way that we medicate oftentimes is just by going back into those dreams of the past. Well, I'm just going to hold on to that. And so I'm going to think about it during the day. I'll, I'll, I'll dream about it at night and then I'll wake up and I'll just loathe the thought of waking up and knowing that this isn't my reality anymore. And it feels like things have passed me by. Oh man, if only I could go back to my glory days. Some of us are sleepwalking because we're living in the past because we, we, we want people to remember who we were in the past. 
At the same time, some of us are sleepwalking because we don't want anyone to ever find out who we were in the past. And we can't let go of it. We hold on to it. And these are dreams that we're dreaming or our shame. When I was living in Minnesota, there was a little boy in the Sunday school program. When I was working up there as the pastoral intern, I got to do a lot of different uh, jobs. And, and one of the jobs that I was able to do is, um, is I helped lead the Sunday school program on Sunday mornings. And so uh, I'd be down there for Sunday school. We called it His Kids. And uh, there's this little boy named Jack. And one day during game time, they were playing this game where they had a beach ball, right? And so like they would just like bounce it back and forth and they were seeing how long they could get it to go, uh, how, how many bounces in a row they could get it off of one another's hands. And as long as it didn't touch the ground, they were still all winning. It came to Jack and Jack hit it, but it kind of bounced off him the wrong way. And they were up at like 25 or 26. Like this was a big number for them. And Jack, probably about six years old, sees the ball bounce off his hand. It goes the wrong way. It lands on the ground. And Jack, immediately filled with disgust in himself, puts his head down and goes over to the corner and puts his nose in the corner of the room. Jack, what are you doing? Now, I didn't actually go over and talk to him. If I could go back, I really wish that I could have. But I did see our Sunday school director go over and talk to him. And it's as if our Sunday school director had to talk him out of believing that he no longer believed in, belonged in the game because of something he had done in the past. In this case, just very recently in the past. And so sometimes we can't let go of the shame that we have in our past, the screw-ups that we had in our past that has led to suffering now in our present day. And it's still sleepwalking. We're just thinking about it. We can't shake it. You ever have one of those moments where it sticks with you for weeks? Maybe some of those things stick with you for months. Maybe you've gone through something in your life that now it's stuck with you for years and you believe that that thing defines you. You believe that that thing has ruined you. And so you're sleeping. You're sleeping. You're living in a dream of the past. You're living in a nightmare of the past. The Bible tells us, wake up. If all you do is sleep, you'll end up in poverty. And I think that it's talking about something even deeper than physical poverty. There's emotional poverty and there's spiritual poverty. You know, I can dream all I want about feasts. And I could spend an entire night eating tables and tables of food. But I'll wake up in the morning and I'm still hungry. Because I didn't actually get fed. It was just an illusion. At the same time, it's true for my soul. My soul can dream of the things that used to feed it. My soul can dream of, of uh, my soul can get stuck in the nightmares and try to self-medicate by thinking, what could I have possibly done different to ignore, to, to avoid my shame that I'm living with today? And yet you wake up and you realize my soul's not any more fed. And so we just go back to sleep. We go back into the safe place, living in the past the past that had glory or the past that stole our glory. Either way, today we're living in an absence of glory. We medicate. We medicate by going back to sleep, right? The Bible tells us if you open your eyes, you'll see that there's plenty to eat for your soul. We medicate by going back to sleep. It's like uh, living in the past is like living in a sleeping bag. And here's what I mean by that. It's nice. It's warm. It seems like it's safe but it's not living. I can't do a lot in this. And I mean, don't get me wrong. 
If I'm going to wake up in the morning on a cold day and I'm in a sleeping bag, I don't want to get up. I don't want to open my eyes. I don't want to face reality because truth is, for a moment, it seems like my dreams are far better than my reality. I want to stay in the sleeping bag. Wake up. This isn't living. There is life for you. There is still glory that God is calling you to. But we've got to wake up. It says this on the next slide. It says, Arise, let your light shine for all to see. For the glory of the Lord rises to shine on you. It says that in Isaiah chapter 60. Get out of your sleeping bag. Go away from that bad self-medication where you're conscious, but you're not really there. Live today. See the glory that God's calling you to. This is where we pick up in our story of Jonah. We're in a series called 72 Hours right now, and we're looking at the story of Jonah. Jonah spent three days in the belly of a whale. There's all sorts of, uh, there's all, there are all sorts of stories in the Bible that have to do with three days. This is one of them. Joey, jo- Joey, Jonah spends three days in the belly of a whale. Let's go ahead and talk about how he got there. In Jonah chapter one, a couple of weeks ago, we saw this part. God calls out to Jonah. Jonah's a prophet, and he says, get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it, because I've seen how wicked its people are. Jonah says, nah, I I don't think so. God says to Jonah, get up. Come on, Jonah, get up. But Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. He found a ship leaving for Tarshish. And Jonah thinks, hey, I can get away from this. I'm going to go. But then we continue in the story and we find out that the Lord had arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah. Oops. Oh man, Jonah, he can't catch a break. Then last week we talked about this in Jonah chapter two. The Lord spoke to Jonah a second... Oh, we actually skipped. I'm sorry. I missed a slide. But either way, what happens then is Jonah eventually gets spat out from the belly of the whale onto a beach. And I wonder if Jonah's like, I think that I just really want to go back to sleep right now. What a rough three days Jonah has had. Jonah's called to get up and go. But Jonah runs away. I wonder if Jonah wanted to go back to sleep. I wonder if Jonah wanted to get back into his sleeping bag. I wonder if Jonah thought about the days of his past. I wonder if Jonah wished he could just live in the past. You see, Jonah, he was a prophet. He was famous. He was someone who shared God's word. Now he's just infamous. God called him to glory, but he was a coward. He ran away. But as he ran away, he finds that he could not get away from God's love. He could not get away from God's presence. God calls him. He says, wake up, Jonah. It's time to go. And Jonah says, you know what? No, I, I, I don't think so. So Jonah leaves his city and he finds that God is outside of his city. Okay, so Jonah goes into the sea. Jonah finds that God is in the sea. Jonah gets spat up on the beach. And here we find Jonah sees that God is at the beach too. Because it says, then the Lord spoke to Jonah a second time. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. God doesn't stop with Jonah. God still says to Jonah, wake up. Jonah, I know you want to go back to sleep. I know that you think your glory is in the past. Maybe for Jonah, he wishes he could go back to the days where his prophecies were a lot easier, where he didn't have to get get up and go and travel to a place like Nineveh, where there was all sorts of evil and unjust and pain and suffering and violence. Maybe he wished that he could go back to the days where his prophecy was just simply to tell someone, hey, God wants you to have a great day. Or maybe Jonah is living in the nightmare of his past where he feels like he'll never be able to escape. The cowardice that he showed. 
But it says the Lord spoke to Jonah a second time. A second time. God's telling us, wake up. The glory of your past and the failures of, failures of your past do not define you. Wake up today. And God gives us free will, right? Like God is God over everything, but God still gives us free will. We can say no to God and we can get kind of cute about it too. Like, no. Hey, wake up. No. You ever had to wake up someone who really doesn't want to wake up? Maybe for you, it's your roommate with the snooze alarm and it just keeps on going on and on. Wake up. No. I'm not doing it. No. And they like get deeper and deeper into their sleeping bag or their covers and they just go down like, no. We can do the same thing with God, but God doesn't stop. We have free will with God, but saying no to God is like hitting the snooze button. Because God's relentless in his grace for you and God's relentless in his love for you and he doesn't stop. He keeps on showing up. And that's why for Jonah, he shows up a second time. Jonah hit the snooze button. The snooze button is like the worst invention ever, isn't it? Don't get me wrong, it's convenient for the moment, but it's also the worst invention. It's the silliest invention. You set your alarm because hopefully you've gotten eight hours of sleep and you hit the button in the morning because you say, my first decision of the day is I need a nap. And I mean, it's either like a terrible decision or you've just pressed uh, like a time machine or something because you hit the button, you fall back on the pillow and then nine minutes just disappears. And the next thing you know, in your dreams, there's, there's a fire truck backing up or something. Eh, eh, eh. You hit the snooze button again. You start to like ruin all of your plans for the day. Like you hit the snooze button for the first time. You're like, ah, you know what? I don't really need to work out today. I was getting it now. And then it goes off again nine minutes later. Like, ah, you know, I showered yesterday. I probably don't need to do this. And it goes off again. You know, I went to class last week. I could flunk. It doesn't really matter. And like, you, you always justify it in your mind. Like for some reason, it's so dramatic in your mind when you're hitting the snooze, you're like, no! Then you like go back, like, I need this. This is good for me. No, it's not good for you. But you don't realize that it's not good for you until you finally respond to the alarm in the way that you're supposed to. God just keeps on showing up. God just keeps on calling. And it is definitely a surprise that he keeps on calling Jonah because Jonah's a guy who dropped the ball. I mean, alarm clocks don't give up on you. God didn't give up on Jonah. He kept on pursuing him. He kept on giving him chances. Jonah, the coward, the prophet who lost his glory. You think God won't call you? Because he said no a few times? God will call you. God keeps calling you. It's in God's nature to call people. Look at the people who Jesus called throughout scripture. Jesus hung out with screw-ups. Jesus called screw-ups over and over again. There's a woman that Jesus meets at the well and she had had a really hard time in her life. And quite frankly, some of the mistakes, some of the problems in her life were because of the mistakes that she made. And she's living in that past and she can't get away from that past. And Jesus says, I'm here for you. I, the Messiah of the world, have come to be with people like you. There's a guy named Peter, who out of all of Jesus' disciples, he probably makes like the worst impulsive decisions, minus Judas, but that one would have been pretty hard to beat. Peter, Peter's the guy who cut a guy's ear off because he got mad for a second. Peter's the guy who Jesus said one time to Peter, like, get behind me, Satan. 
whoo, that's not a nickname that you want Jesus to call you. And then, after Jesus has risen from the dead, Jesus says to Peter, I'm calling you to lead my church. Jesus calls people who drop the ball all the time. Jesus calls people who are hurting all the time. There's a woman who's been bleeding for 12 years. She's gone through great suffering for 12 years. Jesus responds to her and he heals her when everybody else has seemingly given up on her. There is a woman named Mary who's one of Jesus's best friends and she's possessed by demons. She's spiritually sick. She's living in a dream. Jesus heals her and Jesus calls her and, he's, and she's one of his best friends. She's one of the first leaders in the church. Screw-ups, people who have suffered. God calls them all. See, I think that there's a reason for that. People who have screwed up and people who are hurting, so people who, are, who, people who have caused pain in their life and people who have had pain brought into their life by someone else, those are people that have, had to, that have been forced to step out of the sleeping bag. They've been shaken away from the belief that this world is a safe and easy place all the time. And that's why the people in this world who are leading the greatest causes are typically the people who used to suffer without that cause. They lead a cause because they know what the world is like without that cause. And so the people who have been humbled in the place of knowing, I, I've messed up or I've been hurt. Those are the people who really know how to help. So that Sunday school director, she walks over to Jack, the little boy who's got his nose in the corner. I'm telling you, it's the saddest thing, but it's also the cutest thing I've ever seen in my life. I don't belong in the game anymore. And so our Sunday school director, the students called her Ms. Hannah, Miss Hannah. And uh, so she goes over there and she talks to him a little bit. She brings him back over and they all get in the circle. And this time they've got the beach ball and she hands it to him. And now Jack is going to lead the game. And Jack's going to start him off. Why? It's because the game now means something to him. He knows what it's like to be away from it. Why do people start a cause? So they know what life is like without it. And now they know what real help looks like. They want to be a part of that. So God says to Jonah, Jonah, you suffered now. <laughs> you, you screwed up now. But you don't have to live there anymore. You can wake up and your soul can see that there's still glory for you. Because now you know, now you know why people really need help. And now you know what help really looks like. Jonah wakes up. Tells us that Jonah then goes to the city of Nineveh. It's funny, see Jonah wakes up and God wakes up Jonah in order to wake up an entire city of, of the entire city of Nineveh. Nineveh, um, I told you this a couple of weeks ago, but Nineveh was this massive city. Huge city, the biggest city in those days. It was the capital of that region. Again, though, there was lots of violence there. There was a lot of distress. They'd been sleeping. They thought that they were filling their souls with things, but they really weren't. 
They were conscious, but they weren't making decisions that actually looked like life. They weren't making decisions that brought life into their city. Instead, they were making decisions that took life away from their city. And God says, Jonah, I've woken you up so you can go wake other people up. Hear this. It's a cliche for people to say in church circles, like, God blesses you to be a blessing for others. Let me tell you, that's so true. God blesses you. And that is a blessing to share with other people. God wakes you up. And that is to wake up other people as well. Now, here's the difference, right? Because a lot of people these days are saying, well, I'm woke. And there's a difference between being woke and being awake. Being woke looks down on people. Being woke looks for opportunities to criticize others. Being woke looks for ways to exclude people. Being woke just looks for some random new idea without any cause whatsoever just to try to impress somebody. I'm woke and you're not. I would so much rather be awake. I'd so much rather be awake and to see the people around me and to have the opportunity to wake people up and say, live, live. Not you're canceled because I'm woke. Oh, you're not woke. You're gross. Sorry. God invites Jonah to wake up so that he can invite others to wake up. It's surprising when God wakes up Jonah and he keeps on going after Jonah, but it's really surprising that God keeps on going after the people of Nineveh. In fact, we see what Jonah really thinks about the people of Nineveh on this next slide here when it says, this is Jonah's entire sermon. 40 days from now, Nineveh is going to be destroyed. God, I tried. I told him to wake up. I, I, I told him to do it. You woke me up. I did my job. Like, yes, Jonah did follow God's call. He did go out and he did it. Uh, he, did, he did go out and he followed uh, what God wanted him to say. Like, hey, wake up. 40 days from now. But Jonah's like, honestly, I don't really think it's going to happen. Translation, 40 days from now, you guys are all toast. Wake up, I guess. And to everybody's great surprise, the people of Nineveh believed God's message. Because God's in the business of waking up people who have screwed up. God's in the business of waking up people who are suffering and hurting. It goes through this long, then, uh, th this long detail of all the different things that the people of Nineveh were doing to turn their lives around. To turn around. The fancy word for that in church circles is repent. And it literally means to turn around to change the way that you're thinking. And so they repent and they wake up. They realize I've been living yet yeah, conscious, but not really here, not present. I've been living in my own safety, whatever I think it is that's going to keep me safe. That's not living. And see how it changes the heart of God. Jonah, who just told them 40 days from now, the entire city is going to be burned to the ground. The people believe and now it says God responds like this. When God saw what they had done and how they had put a stop to their evil ways, he changed his mind. Wow. I don't want to just read over that and not actually be blown away by the power that's in that verse. God changed God's mind. Because people woke up. The creator of the universe... The creator of the universe decides, no, I, I didn't wake you up to hurt you. I woke you up to save you. It's a nice surprise. See, for he changed his mind, there's a word for that in the Hebrew, and it is naham. Everybody say naham. 
Nicely done. Nacham. Nacham is one of the words in the Bible for repent. But it doesn't just mean repent because it says that God nahamed. God changed his mind. But God doesn't sin. Like God doesn't make mistakes. So how could God possibly repent? Well, maybe repent means more than just things that you don't do. Maybe repent means more than just stop sinning. Maybe repent instead means something deeper. And it does. It means repentance, but it also means compassion. What it means is that God, when he saw that they believed, he had compassion. What is true repentance? Because sometimes Christians are telling other people, you need to stop what you're doing. I don't like what you're about and you're a sinner, and you're going to hell, and God's going to smack you, and he's going to smite you because of the wrong things that you do. So stop it. Stop it. Stop it. And those are what our sermons are like. I'm just going to fix your habits, and I'm going to change your behavior, and then maybe you can finally belong with me. But true repentance is not about the things that you don't do. True repentance is what you are turning toward. True repentance quite literally means... Allowing compassion to fill the earth. If I am compassionate toward the world around me, I've turned toward God. And God lets his compassion flow on Nineveh. He wakes him up. You know, it's amazing. God woke up an entire nation, an entire city through one prophet. Think about how many more people God woke up through Nineveh. Maybe you're called to wake up tonight. Maybe God's shouting out to you. I want you to wake up so you can see my compassion. I want you in the game. You've experienced the loneliness of screw-ups. You've experienced the pain of suffering. And now you know what help really looks like. You've been shaken from this illusion that a sleeping bag, going back to sleep and living in the past, is going to numb you enough to get through the day. Wake up. Wake up. And you will wake up others. The kids in the Sunday school, that very day, they're still playing the game. They get up to 25, 26. They break their record, 27, 28. I mean, now they're really cruising, right? And it all started when Jack was now the leader of the group. And then there's another little kid in the group who hits the ball the wrong way. It goes off the other side. And he's like, no! Now I blew it! And Jack, I don't know what he said to him, but I could just see it from a distance because my one job is to babysit these kids and... I'm watching, like, what's Jack going to do here? And, and Jack, sure enough, he's like, hey, no, no, it's okay, it's okay. And he like, taps him on the shoulder. He's got his arm around. He's like, it's fine. We're going to get 48 next time. Jack knew what help really looked like because he had help extended to him. So now he could provide help to have his arm around someone else. To let compassion flow. See, God lets compassion flow. Because God doesn't sit in the safety zone. For Jack, it would have been safe just to stay in the corner and never play again because, you know what, then he, then he couldn't screw up again. And for us, maybe today, we feel like, you know what, I'm just going to stay in the corner of life because then I won't screw up. Then I can just stay in my sleeping bag. I'll just dream my way through life and, and let it pass me by. But at least my dreams are better than my reality. 
you know, Jesus Christ, he was in the ultimate safety zone. He was in the ultimate sleeping bag. He was in complete comfort and complete peace. But he didn't stay there. He stepped out and he comes down into humanity to show his compassion. It was prophesied about him in, in the book of Isaiah. It, it says this. It says, listen, the Lord's arm is not too weak to save you, nor is his ear too deaf to hear your call. God's arm is long enough when you drop the ball to reach out and say, no, I, I got you. You're still welcome. I'm still here to help you. And he puts his arm around you so that you might put your arm around someone else. Wake up. Wake up. And at the end of this passage in the book of Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 59, it says this, says the Redeemer will come to buy back those in Israel. And it continues and it says this on the next slide. It says, and this is my covenant with them, says the Lord. My spirit will not leave them. Jonah left his city and saw that God was still in the city. Jonah dove into the sea and found that God was in the sea. Jonah gets spat up on the beach and he finds that God is still in the beach. And then to Jonah's great surprise, when he preaches in Nineveh, he finds that God is still in Nineveh. Now let me tell you this tonight. You might believe that you've gone far enough away to where you are outside the reach of God's help. You might believe that the corner of the universe that you are standing in means that you are excluded from the game and you no longer get welcome in that with God anymore. That is not the, excuse me, that is not the truth. God's sitting by your bedside. And as a loving parent, he says, wake up, wake up. And you might tell him, no, no, go away. Nine minutes later, he'll be back. Wake up. I'm not going anywhere. Wake up. I've still got my arm around you. There's nowhere you could go. We are outside the reach of my arm. There's nowhere you could go that you're so far away that when you shout, I won't hear you. There's nowhere that you could go that my voice can't reach you to say, wake up. See, Christ, he got out of his sleeping bag. He faced the realities of the world so that we could have dreams for the future. So that we could have glory today. Wake up. See that there's glory for your soul here. You don't have to live in the past, whether it's good or bad. Wake up. Cost Jesus Christ everything to get out of his sleeping bag. He lost everything to find us in whatever corner of the universe we're hiding in. Wake up. Go ahead and stand on up. And we're going to sing about the way that God wakes us up. This God of revival. Wake up, Kairos and wake up others. Amen.